For the past few weeks, thousands of migrants, men, women and children, who mostly come from the Middle East, have been gathering at the Belarusian border with Poland, where they are trying to cross into the European Union. Belarus has been accused of driving these migrants to the border in a bid to destabilise the EU and to divert attention from its own human rights abuses, a charge it denies. There is a real humanitarian crisis unfolding. Amanda Coakley has been reporting from the Polish side of the border, where she met a family who made the gruelling journey from Iraq to Belarus and onwards into Poland with three young children. So this was an Iraqi family of five, soon to be six. The mother is nine months pregnant. They left central Iraq because they lost their house in a dispute. 26-year-old Henen told Amanda she didn't want to leave Iraq and would have preferred to see her children grow up surrounded by their friends and their family. That was no longer possible. They made a decision to take this perilous journey so that their children could have a better life. The family flew to Minsk and travelled onto the EU border where they tried unsuccessfully to cross into Lithuania. They then went to the Polish border. She was saying that she was so surprised that her children didn't cry because her children really understood what they were doing. And that for me was a very powerful thing for her to say is that your children as young as I think it was at three, six and nine understood why they were kind of trekking through a dark forest in the freezing cold. They were walking through the forest. They were soaked wet, all of them. And eventually they made it in. The family were picked up by the Polish border police, but were terrified they would be sent back to Belarus. However, they were brought to a Polish processing centre and later to a safe house. So now they've claimed asylum in Poland and they're trying to figure out next steps, but they're happy, they're safe um, and they feel incredibly lucky. And they are the lucky ones. Thousands of others remain stranded at the border, where the situation is becoming increasingly desperate. Polish forces are now using tear gas and water cannon against those trying to cross the border, and dangerously cold weather has started to set in. And in their attempt to reach the EU in such brutal conditions, some people have lost their lives. People have died, you're right. It's over a dozen now, but activists that I've been speaking to think that that is far higher in reality. Not everybody's death might have been recorded or people mightn't have been found. Remember that forest I was just talking about? And that's a very disturbing thought. At the moment, it's around three degrees during the day and it can drop below zero at night. We're not in the depths of winter yet. And that's one of the the big concerns is that if this rolls on into late November, December, January, when the snow comes and the temperatures really drop, then the situation is going to be far worse. On today's podcast, we ask, how far are politicians willing to push the Belarus-Poland border crisis and what will be the human cost? I'm Sarah Pollock, and you're listening to In the News from the Irish Times. Amanda, what can you tell us about these men, women and children who are camped out on the border? Which countries are they coming from and how have they ended up in Belarus? And what are they hoping to find once they cross into Poland and into Europe? 
these people are from all over. There's many people from Iraq. There's many people from Syria. There's some people from Lebanon. There's some people from um, Afghanistan. There've been people from Cameroon. So really what happened is that word got out that if you could get yourself to Belarus, Belarus was offering these visas, tourist visas. Um, if you could get to Belarus, the country would basically aid your passing to Europe. What people did, from my understanding, is that they they worked or they saved or they asked relatives for money. They then went into kind of travel agencies in the country that they were from. Um, and they bought this ticket, this plane ticket to Minsk, the capital of Belarus. And they also got their visa. There's a big online element to this as well. You know, there's numerous forums on Facebook, Telegram, WhatsApp, where people have been making money by saying, I can get you a visa to Belarus. And people are paying anywhere between one and a half thousand euros to three and a half thousand euros to just get to Minsk. So what they do is they will board a plane from, let's just say, Iraq. That plane will land in um, Minsk. And then they will be taken to a hotel, which and which they pay for. Um, they stay at the hotel for a few days. And then this is where kind of accounts vary. Some are taken by bus by the Belarusian authorities over to the border. Um, whereas others have said that they got a taxi for $300. But this isn't a cheap journey. And many of these people are in huge amounts of debt now uh, because they have believed the word that was going out. Really what they want to do is, is they want to claim asylum. Some people want healthcare for their children. Other people want to make a new life for themselves. Other people want to be with relatives that have made it to say Germany, for example. And they want to have a life that they can be safe. And can you tell me a bit more about the Polish side of the border, which the authorities have declared as an exclusion zone and where journalists and official aid agencies are unable to reach and to report on what is happening? Why has that been put in place and what difficulties did you face when you tried to get to the border? So it's been put in place because the Polish government wants to deal with this crisis in its own way. It doesn't want to have interference from anyone else. It wants to be in control of the situation at any given moment, at any given point of the day. In terms of journalists, they've said that they don't want a media circus. What this means is that if you try and go into that exclusion zone, you can get arrested, you can get fined, or you can just be picked up and dropped back out. When I went, I drove up and I said, hello, can I go into the border? And they said, no, turn around. And that's kind of usually how it happens. You can wade your way through the forest, but actually what's happening is that there is a network of local people as well who are alerting border police to say, we have seen, I don't know, a television crew or we've seen activists working in the region. It's very difficult to cross undetected and to actually make it to the point where you can see those people right up against the temporary border fence right now and waiting to get in. And there's also been reports of text messages being sent by allegedly the Polish government to migrants as they arrive at the border. What are these messages saying and, and who is behind them? So when I was traveling to eastern Poland last week in the car, around 40 minutes out, I got this text. It said the Polish border is sealed. Belarus authorities told you lies. 
go back to Minsk, don't take any pills from Belarusian soldiers. And this is sent to phones with foreign numbers in the area. And that was the first text that went out. And then the second text went out over the weekend. And it said, Poland won't let migrants pass to Germany. It will protect its border. Don't get fooled. Don't try to take any action. And that text was issued after there was rumors swirling all around the camp or the makeshift camp on the Belarusian side that Poland was basically going to open the border and create a, a safe passage to Germany. And people said, well, on the 15th, we're going to move on the border and we've heard the story and it's true. So they were trying to counter that disinformation. Also, we can see on video that's been released is a similar kind of um, message coming out on the loudspeakers at the border. Attention, the police call illegal border crossing is forbidden. Saying, you know, go back, you've been told lies and whatnot. So it's, it, it's a part of Poland's kind of hostile approach to the situation. And on that hostile approach by the Polish government's Law and Justice Party, How are the Polish people generally across the country responding to this? And where does the EU come into this in offering support to Poland? This is something that I think has actually been really underreported during this crisis is the Poles and how they feel about this crisis. I met some Polish people that were supportive of the government's hardline policy. They just said, well, look, we can't open our border like Germany in 2015. What, where will all these people go? Who will support all of these people? But then on the other hand, there are many polls that say that this isn't our country. We don't do this. We don't push people seeking asylum back across the border. So there are really many Polish people that I've met who are deeply sad about what's happening. They're deeply ashamed of their government. And even ones who support the hardline stance on migration still can feel we shouldn't be doing this or this is an awful situation. So it's really, it is a mixed bag. But I would say that overall, even people that I've spoken to that support the government, they still are deeply uncomfortable with the images that are coming out of people freezing cold on the you know, border of their country. And on that note, I have read about some local villagers and villages near the borders putting up green lights outside their houses as kind of a signal to migrants that they can come and ask for help. Are there many of these people taking these steps to offer support? Yes, absolutely, there are. Um, I was speaking to one over the weekend. uh, Her name is Olivia. And she was saying that there are hundreds of local people all up and down the border helping people that they find in the forest. They get together, they create like packs of food and bandages and phone chargers. Other people who have some legal experience are helping with the legal side of things when they find people. She described it to me as an underground network of help and aid to these people. And unfortunately, those people have been targeted. Not this woman I was speaking to specifically, but for example, a volunteer group of paramedics that are going around in an ambulance. Their cars were actually damaged. They were vandalized by people who allegedly are hostile towards locals who are helping people who have crossed the border. So there is a, you know, there's a lot of fear around there as well at the moment for local people that they'll actually be targeted by their neighbours for, for helping people. But there's an awful lot of goodwill, I have to say. 
Is there any indication that the Polish authorities will step back from the border and allow these people through and into the country to claim asylum? I don't think so. From my understanding and my reporting, I think that the the government, the peace, law and justice, they, they have some political support for what they're doing. They haven't taken any real help from the European Union. So they haven't, you know, they haven't taken any help from Frontex, for example, which is the European border agency. So they're very much like, we're going to do this our way. There is a hashtag that's that's circulating around um, Poland at the moment called Poland Hold the Line. So they're really kind of seeing themselves as we are protecting Poland, we're protecting Europe. So I cannot see them opening the gates and allowing these people to all claim asylum in Poland. Not right now. And meanwhile, the numbers at the Belarusian side do continue to rise. Why do you think people continue this journey, even if they're hearing on WhatsApp of what might be happening when they reach the Polish border? Is it just the desperation of their situations that they need to find somewhere else to go? I read once that no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. And I think that these people, they have no choice the way that they see it and that it is better to take a risk to make it to Europe, to join their family, to join their friends who might already be here or to simply start a new life. I think that it's a case of when they hear the stories about don't come here, you'll be trapped in the forest, they still get on that plane because it's hope and hope is stronger than fear and it's the hope that maybe we can get through maybe we will be okay maybe the situation will be different when we get there that's really what's driving people there we know that some flights have stopped now between uh, Belarus and, and various countries and also the Iraqi government announced that it was sending its first repatriation flight for those who wanted to return Um, And that will be on Thursday. Now, the problem with this is, is we don't know if the Belarusian authorities will allow the people who are gathered on the border to go back to Minsk to get that flight. Because so far what's happened is once people leave Minsk to go to the border with Belarus, they're not allowed return to Minsk. I think on Thursday we're going to have to see what's actually going to happen there and whether some of the, I think it's over 500 Iraqis the the government there has said are in Belarus at the moment, whether they're actually going to make it back to Minsk and if they want to go as well. Coming up, how the Belarusian president engineered the migrant crisis currently playing out on the EU's borders. The humanitarian crisis currently unfolding on the Belarusian border is just the latest chapter in a wider geopolitical dispute playing out between Belarus and the European Union. A missing person and a brazen act that have sent the international community reeling. To cast your minds back, last May, the EU triggered a series of economic sanctions on Belarus for its role in the hijacking of a Ryanair flight. Belarus used its control over its airspace in order to perpetrate a state hijacking. Therefore, the safety and security of flights 
through Belarus airspace can no longer be trusted and the Council will adapt measures to ban overflies of the EU airspace and deny access to EU airports to Belarus airplanes. Sanctions which the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, is not happy about. And now the EU claims the surge of migrants on the border between Belarus and Poland has been orchestrated by Lukashenko in retaliation for these sanctions. Tanya Rayot is a freelance journalist from Belarus who is now based in Dublin. Tanya, it's clear Lukashenko is very unhappy about these sanctions. But what can you tell us about his involvement in bringing migrants to Minsk and then sending them on to the Polish border? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Still, the sanctions are very hurtful for Lukashenko. It was known that a few times already in the spring, he said publicly that, okay, so you're going to put sanctions on me in his kind of typical manner of a a bad boy. uh, So you're going to put sanctions on me. Uh, In return, I'll stop protecting you from the migrants from Middle East or whatever the EU sees as a threat to itself. It all started already in June. You know, smaller groups were trying to get to the to Lithuania. And at first, from what I know, um, the, the authorities there would let them in and put them in the asylum uh, centers. But then when the, the numbers of the people trying to get to the EU increased, they decided to switch, you know, to change their approach to not letting them in to stop this hybrid attack by Lukashenko. And Lukashenko often says that it's not his fault. There are always... Um, always currents of migrants coming to Europe from different directions. And it's just the same numbers as before. But this is a clear lie because as um, Lithuania showed their figures last year, there were 80 people trying to illegally cross the border from Belarus to Lithuania. And most of them were actually from Belarus trying to escape the regime. And this year it's been, and it might be more now because the number might be from September or August. It was already like 5,000 attempts. So it's a noticeable increase on numbers. Exactly. And again, if you look at the stats and you see people trying to get through Italy or Spain, um, there is increase in general this year, but the increase in Belarus is like thousands of percent. So it's, it's definitely been encouraged and inspired. What are people in Belarus saying about this attempt by Lukashenko to retaliate against the EU's sanctions in this way, using human trafficking, essentially? It's a very good question. A question of illegal migration in general is very divisive. You have to understand that it's it's a country that hasn't seen a lot of different people. It's quite mono-ethnic and people understand that it's Lukashenko's operation. That's his campaign to attack. But I don't see a lot of broad sympathy for them. Another thing is the crackdown on NGOs. So there are not a lot of people who can actually openly help those people in Belarus. Lukashenko actually decided to use it for his own uh, propaganda and start bringing food and wood and different things to the border, which didn't happen right away. He just used it in the recent days. It wasn't like that in the beginning. It's now that he wants to, he invites journalists and shows them, look, the Polish are not letting them in. We are now helping them as much as we can. But it's not exactly what it is because there's not enough food and they ask people, as one of the CNN reporters showed, that they ask them to stand on their knees while they ask for food. It's it's quite brutal. They catch us, take a knees, we took a knees uh, like this. He kicked me in the face with uh, his uh, foot 
So I passed off about... Who are these journalists who are getting to the Belarusian side of the border? Are they kind of handpicked by Lukashenko? Are they Belarusian? Or you mentioned CNN. Are they foreign as well? That's a very good question as well. It's another move by Lukashenko that he's trying to show, look, I'm letting them in and the Poles are not letting anyone close to the border. So I'm showing what's going on. There's, there's only a handful of television crews that have been permitted access at this extraordinary moment. So far, I've seen a lot of Russian uh, state journalists. There are government state journalists from Belarus, of course. I've seen BBC and CNN journalists. So I don't know if you can get a, a sense of the, the sort of depth of the camp. There are 2,000 people that have come here from various parts of the world, mainly the Middle East. I think he doesn't pick which journalist. He just knows that the, big, the biggest broadcasters in the world, it's good to have them there. So then I don't think he chooses and he can't tell them the narrative. But it still works, works for him because they are there when they bring in food and wood and they do film that and you see that. So it kind of works, I think, for him. But then this week, actually today, the EU has imposed more sanctions and they're accusing Lukashenko of using these migrants as a weapon to pressure the West. What do we know about these latest sanctions and what kind of impact do you think they'll have? We know that uh, they will put everybody who helped this crisis to evolve, military, maybe the, the forces that are close to Lukashenko, they will put them under sanctions and everybody who organised this trafficking Perhaps the national uh, carrier, Belavia, the national airline, might be put under sanctions, though they are sort of under sanctions already after the hijacking in um, May. They cannot travel to Europe. They cannot use uh, European airspace. Um, so they were hit already. But there were a lot of personal sanctions on uh, military people in Belarus, the judges, they don't really feel it that much because often it's freezing their freezing their bank accounts if they exist there or not letting them into the EU. So it doesn't really help the dictatorship to fall, let's say. So I don't think it's going to hit them very strong. What about the people on the border that Lukashenko has arranged to bring there? And you say he, there's now discussions for them to go back to Iraq. But how far do you think he is willing to push this? I mean, what does he do if thousands more people arrive and then we're facing into a cold winter and a humanitarian crisis? I think often uh, Lukashenko has this style of first do, then think. So I think he's only now starting to understand what he has started. <laughs> so um, I think this realization comes and that's why those talks that uh, Iraq will send a humanitarian plane and will take at least 600 people. I think they're starting to, to, to slow it down because they don't want too many people to come. They want to keep the level of antagonizing at the current level. They don't want it to become a problem for themselves because so far it sort of hasn't been because they managed to have it under control. But I think they will slowly uh, stop escalating. Who do you think could buckle first? Do you think it would be Lukashenko who just will find the sanctions too much and will eventually stop funneling migrants through his country to the EU? Or do you think EU officials will eventually say, no, let them in. There's too many people on the border. We need to let them into the EU and for them to claim asylum. Which way do you see it going? I'm not very strong in the art of the prognosis and a bit uh, scared to do that. But um, <laughs> they are already, Minsk is already kind of stepping back because they said, well, we've been sending, we've been helping people to go back to Iraq. They've been talking to Iraq to send them back or to help them, you know, to return home. 
So I see that Poland is determined and it has support of the EU not to let people in. And I hope it will all end in the negotiation state. So I hope there's no violent solution to this because it looks very tense. And Tanya, looking forward and with Lukashenko remaining in power and this just being the latest in a series of incidents that have happened since he returned, well, since he won the election last year, where do you see Belarus moving forward as these new sanctions roll in? What do you see for Belarus in the next few months? I think since last year, a lot of us see Belarus as two separate things. There is Belarus of Lukashenko, there's his government, his interest and people who surround him. And it's still quite a lot, you know, bureaucrats and people working in the state. And Belarus that was on the streets last year, and people who were protesting, people who voted against him, who voted for Tikhanovskaya. Those two Belaruses, they kind of coexist, but in a grim way. So I can speak a bit more about the the one that is now sort of hidden, the Belarus of the protesters and people who are against Lukashenko. And actually, a lot of people say that it's the majority of the people. 80% of people hate him. He just have to hide it right now. As time goes by, Lukashenko only grips the power stronger. Now he understands more what to do with, with the EU, I think. I think he starts to have plans. And I, I'm sure five or four, how many meetings with Putin he had this year, like basically every month, they help as well to think what else can we do to show our power. So I, I'm not very hopeful about this next sanction package. I don't think it's going to be a, a deal breaker. It all depends how this crisis will, will finish. I think nobody wants a, a, a military escalation. So I think that they will find a solution. And in Belarus, the status quo will prevail. It's Lukashenko will continue to do what he does. Tanya, thank you so much for your time. That's all for today. You can read more about the Belarus-EU border crisis on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.